The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you so much for yesterday. It was an incredible day. Uh, what, what struck me was how a community can come together to get something done. Um, and our goal and everything is to give God glory and to see the amount of businesses, uh, churches, individuals. It was an incredible day. Uh, uh, the sad thing that I will go ahead and tell you, they had to turn away 800 kids um, because there's that much need in our community. So we've already started, I mean, even before the event started yesterday, there was already conversation on next year doubling the size of the event and uh, what we can do to make that happen. So it was an incredible day. Uh, we served a lot, of, a lot of people. I think probably the most impactful thing that I saw throughout yesterday's event Uh, was when uh, the families could go in and there was a giant tent where they could get their backpacks and shoes. And it wasn't just just getting a new pair of shoes. Uh, Every child sat down and there was a volunteer that that met that child and the volunteer washed that kid's feet and then fitted them with shoes. So very powerful, very moving time um, and just very grateful hearts. And I'm so glad that we live in a community that we can take care of each other and love each other the way I saw yesterday. I know we got a lot of stuff we fight about and a lot of stuff that gets in the way, but yesterday it was so fun to see all that go aside, even churches that can start bickering back and forth. All that went aside to take care of kids and take care of families so that they have hope to start a school year. So thank you for that. Uh, It was an incredible time. Uh, We're in a series on spiritual warfare. I know uh, last several weeks have been heavy, I can't guarantee today is not going to be just as heavy, but here's the thing. I'm excited about today because uh, over the last several weeks, uh, it seems like uh, a lot of you guys have been uh, really uh, feeling a little bit of despair and and a lack of hope. And I I want you to leave today with hope. I want you to leave today knowing what freedom means. I want you to leave today knowing uh, how to be free and so how to live free, not just to get it today and then just walk away and go, well, that was a cool experience and you find yourself back in the same situation you were. Um, so there's a couple of things that we've got to understand is that we have an enemy that, that wants to kill, kill us, wants to steal from us and wants to destroy. Uh, you have a real enemy. I have a real enemy. And, and that should invoke something in us. That should invoke, uh, you know, we get the fight or flight mentality. Uh, there's no way to run from it. So what that means as a, as a Christ follower, uh, as a person, that we have to fight, we have to engage. We can no longer bury our head in the sand. Um, you know, it, it's interesting how many uh, people I find that, that are Christians, that are Christ followers, and, and their preferred method of discipleship is to bury their head in the sand uh, or their preferred way of dealing with the, the realities of life on earth is to uh, just not acknowledge they exist. And this isn't just issues of spirituality. Um, we try to try to bury our head from, from different issues, maybe with our family. And God doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to live with our eyes wide open. He calls us to be alert, be watchful, and engage. And so I want you to understand that you have been called into a fight. Uh, you have been raised up for battle. And, and I know this, this could probably scare a lot of you, but God doesn't allow us to sit on the sidelines for long. And the enemy is not going to let you sit on the sidelines. I, I hear people say, well, if I just don't acknowledge it, then I don't have to worry about it. Can I tell you, you're a target. Whether you're a Christian or not, you are a target because you are God's creation. That God wants to invict, in, 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 inflict the most pain he can 
the devil wants to, I didn't say that right. The devil wants to inflict the most pain he can because you're God's, okay, you got to give me some grace. We, I, I want to give a shout out actually to our setup team because they got here at 6.30 this morning. We normally set up on Saturdays at 10 and they've been painting and doing some stuff here at the, at the facility. And so we had to set up this morning starting at 6.30. So 5.30 in the morning came awful early. The only time I see 5.30 other than for this is hunting season, okay? I mean, I'm just telling you, and that's, that's still a couple months off. So I'm, I'm just, my mind is just like, okay, where are we at? What time is it? Is it lunchtime? Is it, you know, and so that just, it just doesn't, it's not right. I know some of you are early risers and God bless you. I'll pray for your redemption and your healing and all that. But, but man, I am a night owl. Um, and so, uh, I do my best work between 10 PM and 2 AM. So, uh, you can tell I'm having a little bit of fog and I don't drink caffeine. I don't drink coffee. So all this is natural, baby. Um, so to get back to it, um, <laughs> to get back to it, the enemy wants to inflict as much pain as he can on God because God created everything and God said it is good. And, and when the enemy wants to steal and, and rob God of all the glory he's due, uh, he's going to go into our life in any way possible. Uh, so we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 5 today. If you got your Bibles, meet me there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles on the ends of the rows. We have new Bibles, um, and uh, those are Bibles that we are going to, to take to the new facility, but we've been giving away so many Bibles that we had to replenish that, and so we're not going to wait or hold those. So there's new Bibles on the ends of the rows, or if you have a smart device, you can find us on uh, the free app called Version. And we do a live tab in there and you can get the notes and everything like that and the scripture. So today we're going to look at Mark chapter 5. Uh, Mark is in the New Testament. If you need help getting there, there's a table of contents in the front. Uh, God put that there just so we could find out where to go. Um, I use it often. I was having to use it this week and actually having a grand old time with it. Uh, Mark chapter 5, today we're talking about a full house. Um, I'm, not, not, I'm not going to teach you cards or need not going to teach you any tricks on how to go to Vegas and, and hit it big. Just if you happen to be there and you do hit it big, remember, tithe is 10%. Um, and uh, anything above that is an offering. And there's, there's just double blessing on that, man. Double blessing on that. So uh, Mark chapter 5. Uh, now, we're going to look at a man that's dealing with some demons. Um, you know, we've, we've uh, been talking about this over the last several weeks. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people I, I hear, uh, you know, this isn't just a, a staggering piece of information of kids in seminary uh, that don't believe in, in the devil or believe in hell. Um, it's an interesting thing nationwide. Uh, I was in a conversation with, uh, with a guy, um, and he had taken a mission trip with a group that we support. You support Kids Stand. Part of your tithes and offerings each month uh, helps us uh, put money into several ministries. Um, yesterday, we were working with two ministries that we support. Community Link was the one who organized and brought all this back to school thing together. And so monthly, we tithe into that organization. Kids Stand is also an organization that monthly we tithe into. And it was so cool to bring those together because we had Community Link and then Kids Stand there performing. Um, but Kids Stand had taken a trip to Nepal and they were working with a missionary uh, organization over there. The interesting thing is these missionaries said we, we had to do a crash course on really spiritual warfare and things about pneumatology or the study of the Holy Spirit and demons. Because he said, what I've learned growing up in America, he grew up in the, in the Northwest, he said, what I learned is the enemy really works hard uh, in, the nor- in North America to get people into this belief and mindset that he doesn't exist, that evil doesn't exist, that something that evil can't be, can't be real. And so in, in America, North America mindset, we're just like, well, there's just not, it's just not there. You know, there's no, there's no devil that's like causing crazy things going on. 
But in the Eastern cultures, he said, when they moved over there and started doing mission work, he said, I, 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 would, I was in no way, shape, or form prepared for what we were walking into. Um, he said, the, the spiritual activity was much different, um, we'll say. He said, in, in that culture, the Eastern culture, the enemy works hard to exert his power and authority over people. Um, and so I could tell you stories, I won't share them from here, but I mean, I can tell you stories and make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Even if you don't have hair on the back of your neck, it'll grow and stand up. I mean, it's, it's that, that crazy. So uh, we're gonna look at the, this idea of, of demonic activity and, and we've gotta realize it is just as real today as it was in the New Testament. It is just as real in the New Testament as, as it was in the Old Testament. And we've gotta understand we have an enemy. We have an enemy and he has an army. Those armies are his minions and that, that, those are the demons. So Mark chapter five is where we're gonna be. We'll start verse one. I got a couple comments that I'll make along the way and then we'll make some, some applications. So uh, I'm not just gonna read all this straight through for you. Uh, they went across, this is Jesus and the disciples. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Uh, the interesting thing that I'm gonna point out is uh, this man, when they get out of the boat, there's a man that's living in the tombs. He's living in the graveyard, living in the cemetery. And he is possessed by an evil spirit. He's tormented by an evil spirit. He has an evil spirit. And when Jesus approaches, he says, the man came out of the tombs to go meet Jesus, then the disciples. The thing you've got to understand, the enemy cannot keep you from coming to Jesus. He cannot keep you from coming to Jesus. He can't put up enough roadblocks in the way. He can't shackle you. He can't chain you enough to keep you from coming to Jesus. You're going to see that this man has some crazy stuff he's dealing with. But he could still, when Jesus stepped on the scene, have enough presence of mind to get into the presence of Jesus and come to him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but, the, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So the enemy had him so bound and so tormented uh, that, that he would uh, cause more pain to himself. Um, there was no power that could keep this man down. Okay, our power, our chains, our ideas, our thoughts, our, our, our plans aren't gonna keep the enemy uh, enemy's power at bay. And this man was chained and the enemy has him in torment. Um, his home was death. He lived around death. He was tormented day and night. And through that torment thought the only way he could deal with this is to inflict more pain on himself. Uh, the enemy likes to get us wrapped up into things. And I'm gonna be very careful and I wanna, I wanna use my words very carefully because I don't want you to walk away with the wrong interpretation of this or the wrong idea of this. But the enemy likes to bind us up and get us into to modes of depression and anxiety, cutting, cutting is serious issues among, among many people today. And he gets us bound up. And, and, and what he does is he just starts closing in on our minds and shrouds our minds in death and torment. Now, I'm not saying that if you battle with depression that you have a demon living in you, and I'm not saying if you deal with anxiety that you have a demon living in you and that we need to go through some, some stuff to cast out, but, but here's what I want you to realize, that the enemy can create shackles on your life, and those may play out in the area of depression and anxiety. 
And if, you, if you're on medication, you need to continue doing your medication. But we've got to realize that there could be a real spiritual root to something going on in our life. And that we try to shackle it down. We try to use our power and our abilities to hold down what the enemy's doing in our life. And let me tell you something, the enemy's just going to break through those. The enemy's just, he'll break through the medication, he'll break through uh, the counseling, he'll, whatever it is. But there has to be an authority greater than the enemy at work in order for you to be free. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? Um, The enemy can't keep us from worshiping Jesus. You see, there's a difference that I wanna point out. We can come to Jesus. We can can know about Jesus. We can have enough knowledge to, to approach him, but the enemy can't keep us from worshiping him. See, it says he fell at his feet. Uh, that, that Greek word is like proskuneo. It is to fall at the feet and worship the master. Um, my dog, the greatest example of this, um, it means kissing the hand of the king, but it also means a dog licking the hand of its master. And my dog proskuneos me all the time. Just saying. He did it at six o'clock yesterday morning when he wanted to go outside. So the way I handle that, honey, the dog needs to go outside because I don't get up that early. <laughs> The enemy cannot keep us from worshiping Jesus. What's interesting is this man was possessed by demons and he still bowed. What's interesting is the demons even have to bow. See, every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. All things above earth, on earth, and under earth are subject to the power and authority of Jesus. So even the enemy cannot stop you from worshiping Jesus. It could have been the hardest week of your life. The enemy could have been beating you up. He could have been bringing up past, heaping guilt on you, whatever it is, however he attacks you. You you need to be smart enough in your Christian walk to know where he's attacking you. And you need to have people watching your six. You need to have people watching your blind spots. So when those attacks come, you've got some backup. You've got help. And no matter, if, if he's been beating you up this week, he cannot stop you this morning from worshiping Jesus. We were in the presence of God. God's presence is here. We don't have to invite God's presence anywhere because God's presence is with us. He is in us. He dwells among us. Where two or three are gathered, he is there. So he is here this morning. His presence is here. And the enemy cannot keep you from getting in his presence and worshiping. What does is you. I am, my, I am the biggest hindrance to me worshiping God. So let's, let's go on. See, even the demons are subject to this. Verse seven and eight. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of most high? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you unclean evil spirit. The demons are worried about Jesus. They're saying, swear to your father that you will not torture us, that you will not torment us. They were afraid. You know why they're afraid? They knew their fate. They know their fate. They know what's coming. And you will find that when Jesus interacts with people who are demon-possessed in the New Testament and in the Gospels, some will say, why have you come? It's not yet our time. They know what's coming. You need to understand something. God doesn't see things day to day. He sees all of 
creation, all of eternity as completed. That's how big God is. He doesn't look down a tube of of a calendar. He sees it from above and he sees it as completed. And he knows their fate. They know their fate. So verse nine, my name is Legion because Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. You've got to understand that the enemy can be cast out, but he's still going to be in proximity. Some of your translations might say, don't send us out of the country. And so Jesus can send them out, but they're going to be close by. And then uh, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Okay, this would have been a really freaky sign. I mean, to stand there and see this going on. Okay, first of all, you've got the locals because they're gonna know what's going on. They know the man that's living in the tombs. They hear him wailing, they hear him crying. They've tried to chain him and he breaks the chains. So Jesus and his disciples get out of the boat. This man comes out and meets him and they have this conversation. And Jesus, he's talking to the man, but he's also talking to the demons. What's your name? My name is Legion for we are many. And they're asking him, please don't cast us out of the area. Let us go into the pigs. And Jesus is like, all right, fine, go into the pigs. This isn't the demons pulling one over on Jesus. So then you see the demons go into the pigs and then all these pigs, all 2,000 of them, all of a sudden start rushing towards the cliff. Now, if you're the guy watching those pigs, you're thinking, I have just lost my job. (laughs) I did not anticipate this when I started my shift this morning. (laughs) They run off the cliff and they drowned. You've got to understand something about the enemy. Uh, when it says don't cast us out of the area, demons need a host. There needs to be an embodiment. So they're saying, Jesus, you can send us out of this man, but let us go somewhere. Let us go into the pigs. And then they go and they drown the pigs and they start looking for another host. What you've got to realize is that the enemy's ultimate goal is death. The enemy's satisfaction isn't you bound in addiction isn't you bound up in, in, in torment? It's not you bound up in, in bondage. The enemy's ultimate satisfaction is your death. Why? Because as long as you have breath, you can call out on the name of Jesus. And he will save. And his power and his authority is above all. And every knee will bow. And so the enemy wants you dead because he wants no opportunity whatsoever for you to say, Jesus, save me. So his ultimate goal is your death. Let's finish this out. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. That's another teaching for another time. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. 
Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. What's interesting about this man is he had family. Jesus said, go home, go back to your family. Some translations say, go back to your friends. What's interesting about this man is through this, through this whole torment and this possession, uh, the enemy had, had cut him from the herd, if you will, and let him move into seclusion because the man was living in death, but he wasn't dead. He was living without friends, though he was not friendless. He was living as an orphan, as though he had, and, but he had a family. Do you, do you see how the enemy starts to work on this? Now, this man was probably a functioning member of society. I see this in the church. Let's go at it from the church. I see people who are healthy in the church. I see people who are growing and there's, this, there's discipleship happening. And then all of a sudden, the enemy starts cutting them from the herd. And then they find themselves in seclusion. And we call to check on you and we can't get you. We email you. We're not stalking you. We're concerned about you. We're like, we love you. Because the way the enemy works is he starts to make you feel unworthy of being a part of a family. And he starts separating you from the herd. And the next thing you know, you're not living with your family. You're not living with your friends. You're not living in community. You're living in death. You may not be dead yet, but you're living in death. See, this man wasn't dead, but he's living in death. The enemy had destroyed everything in his life. He had robbed him of everything in his life. He just had not killed him yet. Because given the opportunity, that was coming. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. Let's let's look at some application in this. I mean, because this is a pretty pretty powerful thing going on in the context of Jesus' ministry that is still alive today. The first thing, these are some applicational points I want you to write down. The first thing is Jesus releases us. You see, we don't have the power to do it on our own. The enemy had taken everything. He'd taken his family, taken his friends, whatever home he had. He'd taken his place in society and Jesus restores this. He releases it. He releases the power of the enemy on his life. And he says, the enemy doesn't have a hold on you anymore. For a brief moment, the enemy could put a hold on those pigs, but he doesn't have a hold on you anymore. Some of us need Jesus to release us from some things in our life. Let me me read to you, um, let me read to you a scripture because not all the time is it instant. I mean, this man instantly, Jesus said, what's your name? Legion, for we are many, get out. Please don't send us out. Can we go in the pig? Go, go to the pigs. Just get out. But it doesn't always happen instantly. And I know a lot of you are praying for God to do some things instantly in your life. And God doesn't always work in that instantaneous mentality. Let me read to you about the Apostle Paul. I love this passage of Scripture. But the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12. To keep me from being conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations. Basically, God had shown him so much, it would be easy to get prideful and say, I know something you don't know. And so, 
that's loosely translated, but to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but this is what he said. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Some of you are praying for God to release something in your life and he might not do it instantly because here's here's what you've got to understand. Here's what I've had to learn in my life. God doesn't release me from strongholds in my life to walk away from God. God releases me from the stronghold so that I can press farther into my relationship with God. Is that making sense to you? There are people that I've talked with and, and, and they didn't go into what the issue was they were wrestling with, but, but one particular person said, I don't understand. I have prayed, I have prayed, I have prayed, I have fasted and I have prayed and why will God not remove this from me? And I asked him, I mean, I, I didn't have the answer for him. I wish it was re, uh, instant release every time. But I go back to Paul, it's like, well, God's grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in your weakness. But let me ask you this question. In that weakness, does that drive you to God or away from God? See, the enemy wants to use your weakness to drive you away from God. But God's grace is big enough and his power can be made perfect. And I asked him, I said, if God completely removed that issue from your life, how hard would you press in to the heart of God? And he was quiet for a minute. He said, you know, if God completely removed that from my life, I don't, my prayer life would not be anything near what it is. I said, I'm not trying to justify our answer for God. You've got to continue praying for this. But let me tell you something. It is only the power of Jesus that can release it. And his wisdom knows the best way. Trust him that he knows the best way. Jesus restores us. He didn't just release this man from the power of the enemy. I mean, because you could see, you could think of it in this context, like, what's your name? Legion, for we are many. Okay, go to the pigs, go to the pigs. Peace out, I gotta go on. Man, they're gone. You're released, go. You're released. No, 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 no. Jesus restores. You think about it. He, restored, he said, go home to your family. He restored him to relationship. He restored him in, in his community. He restored him everything. Get this, he even gave him a ministry from what he rec- restored. Go and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how you have received mercy. You see, when Jesus releases you and he pulls the grip of the enemy off of your life, and he begins to restore things in your life, your, your responsibility, your ministry is to go and tell people what the Lord has done for you. I was bound and now I'm free. I was shackled and now I'm released. The enemy had destroyed and stolen things from me and God restored them. You see, this idea of restoration though, so you don't get an unhealthy perspective of it. We, restoration can only happen when we repent and Jesus releases us. There might be a marriage situation that you're dealing with 
and the restoration isn't happening. And maybe one of you is like, but I said, I'm sorry. That's repentance, okay? I said, I'm sorry. It's confession, I'm sorry. Um, repentance also means to turn from that sin. And you're like, I, I, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Why can't we restore this marriage? That might take some time. See, forgiveness needs to happen immediately and completely, but that restoration might be limited and progressive. Because some of us in, in our society, for me, I know this, a lot of times it's the stuff that I accumulate that ends up binding me and destroying me. And so sometimes God has to prune that. And when I'm like, God, restore that to me. Restore that to me. He's like, I'm not gonna give back to you that which you were suffocating yourself with in the first place. Let God handle the, recon- the restoration. And then Jesus uh, regenerates us. This is the difference. I, if you're taking deeper notes than just your filling, this is the difference in religion versus relationship. This is the difference in regeneration versus reformation because here's the deal. We can try under our own power to manage our strongholds, manage our addictions, whatever it is you're, you're struggling with. I can handle this. All I gotta do is try harder. If I, just, if I could just work harder at this, if I can just get, get this taken care of, I mean, you know, you know the drill. You know the, the game you play with it. We all play that game. And our power is not enough to do it. It takes us being a brand new creation, a brand new person. Jesus says when, when he makes us, he makes us new. When we come to that faith in him, we're a new creation. And see, religion is gonna tell you if you'll follow these rules and these guidelines, then you'll live a way of life that pleases God and he'll be happy with you. Relationship is God loves you. And God did everything needed to secure that relationship with you. And his power is at work in your life so that when you do mess up, his grace is there and that you can live in a relationship with him because he wants the best for your life. It's a difference in growing up in a house where you've got the checklist of things to do to keep mom and dad off your back versus mom and dad loving you. See, religion says you gotta keep God happy. Relationship says you have a perfectly loving father who desires the best for you. Regeneration is him making us new, giving us a new mind, renewing our mind, giving us a new heart, giving us a new perspective. And reformation says, if I can just change, if I can change the way I think, I might be able to beat this. The reason this is so important is because Remember I said when, when the demons left the man and went into the pigs and they killed the pigs because their ultimate goal is death, they start looking for another place to live. They start looking for another place to go. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 11. This is why regeneration is important and reformation won't get it. Reformation will clean the house. Uh, Luke 11 says this, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. 
And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. See, reformation, you changing the way you think and the way you behave, trying to manage your behavior, it sweeps the house clean for a little while. And then what happens is man, when that demon says, okay, I'm out searching for another place to live because Jesus said I got to move and I can't find anywhere. Let me go back and check that other house because if nobody's moved in there, I'm taking it back over. But in order for me to take it back over, I'm gonna bring seven of my buddies because we might have to go in with force. Are you tracking with where this goes? When we manage our own behavior, we can make the house look clean, but it's still death. I mean, we can whitewash the tomb, but it's still a tomb, right? So what has to happen is we gotta change who dwells in the house. That regeneration is Jesus filling the house, the Holy Spirit dwelling in the house, taking over and begin to renovate us and shape us and move our character into the character of God. And that's a slow process. And then what we have to understand The last thing is do not return to the tombs. I know I had you tracking on a good old message with everything that starts with an R and, you know, all that fun stuff. But but here's the do not. Do not go back to the tombs. Don't go back to where Jesus released you from. What did Jesus tell this man? Go home. His home was not the cemetery. His home was not the tomb. His home was not dwelling among death. Go home to your family. It's so easy for us to go back into those things that are that are that Jesus released us from because it's comfortable. But I learned how to deal with comfort in the most vile situations. I learned how to feel that the comfort there's no comfort in the tomb. There's no comfort in living in bondage and in death. Let me tell you something. Here's what scripture says. Solomon says it and then then it's also in in, uh, 2 Peter. When we are released from our bondage and we choose to go back to it, it's like a dog returning to its vomit. It wasn't good in the first place. Why do you want to go back to it? Don't go back to the tombs. So how do I not go back? How do I not go back into that same situation, that same lifestyle, the same sin? How do I do this? It's our core value. It's, it, it starts with community. You have got to get around relationships. You have got to build relationships that are, that are Christ-centered, that are gospel-centered. And, and you wanna get to the real word, it's called discipleship. You've got to have relationships that are horizontal. So your relationship with God has to be growing and intact and your relationship with other people. It's kind of up, in, and out. And we, we begin to build those relationships. Let me, let me help you with this. You have a family right here. You have a family that loves you, that cares for you, and that is, that is man, they want to build those relationships with you and create those ties that bind. Maybe it's not a return to family. Maybe you've never had family. Maybe, maybe throughout this whole teaching, God's been working on you and going, you know what? I love you and the religion is not what you're after. I love you and I want a relationship with you. And maybe he's calling you to family for the first time. Now we're not a perfect family. 
but we have a perfect father. I'm gonna let you down, but he is always perfect. Here, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I know we've, we, the space challenges in this room are just, is, are difficult, but here's what I'm gonna do. In a minute, I'm gonna pray. And while I'm praying, we have community group leaders and, and, and group leaders that are gonna come stand across the front of here. And I want you to use this opportunity. I'm not gonna ask you to go to the prayer room. If you wanna go to the prayer room for prayer or any other thing, then, then go. But if, if your desire is to make connections and relationships, you don't, it, it, this isn't speed dating. This isn't you coming up looking desperate, okay? This is you coming up and saying, man, I'm, I'm ready to engage in, in some, some gospel-centered relationships. I'm ready to, I'm ready to engage in, in family. And all you gotta do is come up, even if it's just, you, you say, man, we want more information about groups. They're gonna be across the front here. And I, I can't tell you, they're not gonna have the cards of what group, I don't, I, this isn't soliciting you to their group. We want to get you in relationships with people. We wanna get you connected with the people that you go to church with, with the people that you live in neighborhoods and communities with. We want you connected. Why? Because it's so easy for the enemy, when you don't connect in, in a, in a gospel-centered relationship, it's so easy for the enemy to say, go back to the death. At least you were comfortable in the tombs. That's a lie, by the way. I'll just recognize it for you. It's a lie. At least you were comfortable by yourself. At least it wasn't as messy. Yeah, relationships are messy, but let me tell you something. They are absolutely worth it. So I'm gonna pray and our group leaders are gonna come up and I want you to take this opportunity to engage with them. There's nothing weird about it. They're not gonna pray about you. They're not gonna shout your sins out or anything. If you wanna confess your sins, that's fine. Don't do that, I I would just say. Um, But just engage. Think of it like the greeting time when Adam said, we got a lot of friendly people standing around love to shake your hand. It's a greeting time for you to meet group leaders And the intention is to help you engage in some relationships. There's game nights going on. There's all kinds of things going on and they can tell you about it. They can tell you about the upcoming semester. They can tell you about all these ways to engage. So let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that you hold the power of the enemy. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would would not bury their head in the sand and realize that there is an enemy that seeks to steal from them to destroy everything in their life and and to ultimately kill them because his ultimate satisfaction is their death. And Lord, I'm just so grateful because through Jesus' death, you overcame the enemy's power. That the grave, that sin, that death no longer has, has power over you, but you hold power over it. I thank you for that. Lord, I just pray that that we would awaken to the reality that you release us, that you restore us, that you make us new and you call us, don't go back to that old life. But you call us to engage in, in healthy relationships and you call us to tell everyone what you've done for us and how you've had mercy on us. And so we ask for your mercy this morning. God, if there's anyone in here that doesn't have a relationship with you and maybe they've been following a checklist of religion or, or maybe, maybe they were invited today and they're so turned off by religion that 
that they don't, they, don't, they don't understand why they're here, but maybe it's in this moment that you're whispering to them, it's not religion, it's, it's, it's a relationship, it's me, it's Jesus. I pray you give them the courage to say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Forgive me, release me, make me new. God, I pray that you give everyone in this room the courage to engage in this moment. Lord, if they need prayer, these group leaders will pray for them. But I pray you give them the courage to have some conversations and say, hi, my name is, and it's that easy. It begins with an introduction. We thank you so much for this time, Father. We ask that you bless our week. Lord, we ask you help give us the courage, the strength, and the energy to fight and fight well and fight the good fight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.